Hello and welcome to All in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. My name is Brian and I haven't placed a bet since July of 2014. And with me as always is Jeff Wasserman. Jeff, how are you? Hey, Brian. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I haven't gambled since July of 2015. Great to be here. Jeff, we have an interview today, a good one, an exciting one, something we don't talk about enough, but we do. We have alluded to in the past few weeks in both our meetings and on the podcast, and that is spirituality. Yeah, this is a really good topic. Uh, we have a great guest that will uh, illuminate us on that issue, and uh, I'm excited about it. Well, let's get to our guest. Her name is Robin Clare. She's a best-selling author and recovery coach, and she was kind enough to join us on the podcast and talk about spirituality today. So, Robin, thank you for being here. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Jeff, for having me here. I'm excited to be here. Well, Robin, if you could just take a moment and talk about yourself and talk about what it is that you do and your three books, The Messiah Within, Feast and Famine, and The Divine Keys, and just tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I am a spiritual author. And so what does that mean? That means that I am gifted in receiving guidance from beyond the human realm of existence, what maybe some people would call the heavenly realms. And I am a channel for information on these spiritual books that the that our divine uh, grace would like us to understand and have a better life. But I'm also a very grounded person um, living a very normal life. And so um, and and so I take the two of those and I and I write these three books. I've written these three books. I'm actually writing my fourth book. And um, I've taken this information and given practical guidance for living a spiritual life that can ultimately help you with. Uh, staying in recovery from addiction. That's great. Um, one of the things you mentioned before we started that I'm interested in, and I, I just want to talk about first, because I think a, a good portion of our audience does this and the other portion would like to do it. And you said you're a writing coach. Mm -hmm. And Jeff and I know a bunch of problem gamblers who blog about their uh, addiction. Um, we know some who have written books about their addiction. What could you help the other half who who don't know how to put down their feelings. Cause I, again, like me writing and talking is the best way to express my feelings. Cause at least I get yes. it out there. Even if I don't tell anybody, even if I'm just talking to Jeff all day, it's still getting it out there and it makes me feel better. So could you just talk about being a writing coach and maybe giving a little advice to the half that doesn't write about it? Yes, I can. So the first thing that I would say is that we all have lived extraordinary lives. It's filled, they're filled with good, bad, and ugly experiences. And all of those are driven, our soul has been guiding the way. So my work is based on the idea that we are a soul being, having a human being experience, meaning that we incarnated into this physical body to live a life filled with experiences that we can grow from as a soul being. And so as our soul has led the way, there have been wonderful experiences, really bad ones, and ugly ones. And so what is the, all that information? And have we lived that for our own entertainment only? Absolutely not. It, they are great stories to tell a group. They're great stories to tell at parties, to our therapist, whomever, but they're really teaching tools. And so when people really understand that these extraordinary lives that they've lived are meant to inspire others, that's when they start thinking about, should I write? And what I always tell them first, what I tell my clients is, when you're writing that book at first, you're writing it for yourself. 
So that gives them permission to put anything out there, things that maybe they wouldn't want the public to know about, right? And so, so they put this out there, and then we take a look at it again and say, okay, if we want to use this as a teaching tool, because that first round is very upsetting to people when they're writing it. When they find the courage to put it down in writing, they understand things about themselves. What is that expression? Hindsight is twenty-twenty, right? When they put it down and they read it and they're looking at it from their place of recovery, perhaps, or they're still their place of addiction, they're like, wow, look what I did, or look what happened, or now I really understand that. So I always say the first round of the book is for them to do more of their healing. Then when they feel healed enough, then we can look at this information and see how we want to put it out to the public. And that's so that's round two, right? Where we say, how can this become a teaching tool? So I guess what I'm trying to share is that everyone's lives are extraordinary. And what can you use that information for to teach others? First to heal yourself and then to teach others. You know, Robin, it's really interesting um, hearing this because when um, I have gone through the 12 steps um, mm -hmm. for myself and when I also work with other people who are going through the 12 steps, one of the guidebooks that I use, which is a, a Gambler's Anonymous guidebook, is called Writing the Steps. Mm -hmm. And in its introduction, it talks about the importance of when you're doing the 12 steps to do it in writing, not yeah. just to think about your responses to certain exercises that are contained within the book, but to write your thoughts down. And And, and I, I appreciate that because I know that it makes it more real when you when you're able to, like you said, look back and read what you wrote, read your thoughts. There's just a different perspective that you get from just even sharing it with, with someone else. Yeah. And when I was first learning how to write, because I, I, you know, I spent the first half of my career in corporate America writing management memos. I didn't really know how to write a book. I knew how to write a corporate report. That was the extent of it, right? So I would be woken up in the middle of the night, always at a very interesting time, 111, 222, 333. And I would be inspired to write a letter to God or to whomever you want to write a letter to. And I would write these letters about my life. And I would, it, I wrote for at least two or three years. In the second year, I said, is there any way that I don't have to be waken, awoken in the middle of the night? And my guidance was like, well, how about writing during the day? <laughs> so it was as simple as me, like actually making the effort during the daylight, and then I could sleep through the night. So I would suggest to everybody, if you're going to start that way, start in the daytime <laughs> and start writing letters. Now, I know in the 12-step program, there is a lot about writing letters, but this is a letter between you and your soul, or you and your God, or you and your goddess, you and your um, whomever your priest, or you, but you don't ever have to send these letters. You're just expressing what is going on in your heart and what's on your mind. And then from there, I graduated to be able to write books because I did not have any idea how to write a book when I first started. Um, I didn't even, it's, it's, it is a process. 
But that's why I love coaching people, because I can take them through that process based on my own experience and all that I've learned about writing and editing and publishing. And again, you never have to publish that book, but it's really important to write. Well, I think, I mean, I think most people want to be heard, right? I mean, we, we get people here on the podcast to tell their story because they want to be heard. I mean, it's nice to be in yes. recovery, but we all want to be heard. And so uh, writing yeah. is a great way to do that because especially now, even if, even if you don't have a publisher or a literary agent, you can self-publish it and put it out in the world and see what happens. Oh, yes. Yes. And actually there's, there's like these three models now there's self-publishing where you, you know, pay for the whole thing. There's a publisher, they pay for the whole thing, but you don't get as much. And then there's this new hybrid publishing model where you work with a publisher where you pay for half and you get half of the rewards. And so it's changing every year. It seems like there's more and more models that are coming up to help people to, to get their, their word out. But you can also take that information and put it in a blog, take it and create inspirational cards. People love those cards, those decks of cards. You can have it be the content or the scripts for your own podcast, right? You can, it doesn't have to necessarily be a book, but putting a book out there today is easier. Even Amazon has their own um, publishing arm that is very inexpensive and and gets the book right into Amazon. Yeah. Um, would you mind, just because uh, people listening, a lot of problem gamblers, mm-hmm. they might think, well, she's not a problem gambler. She doesn't understand what I'm going through. But you yourself had a separate yeah. addiction. Could you talk a little bit about that I and where did. you are now with that? Yes. When I, when I was 17 years old, um, I I started with something called obsessive compulsive food disorder and bulimia. And um, I think it, it it came as a result of getting stoned out of my mind and having the munchies and then not wanting to gain weight. So, um, so I think it began then. And it actually began at seven years old when my mom put me on my first diet. But it kept escalating until the point where I had some control over what the amount of food that I was eating. And then it just became this obsessive compulsive day in and day out. I mean, think about food disorder. You have at least three opportunities where you can exercise your addiction plus snacks, right? So all day long, it was this conversation going on in my head. Should I overeat? Did I eat? Was I good? Was I bad? Do I need to purge? And it just went, it went on for 40 years and went on through this whole transition of becoming a a spiritual teacher. And my first two books were written as an addict. And my third book was written, Feast and Famine, Healing Addiction with, with Grace. The first time I wrote it, I was in addiction. And at the end, I wrote, well, I hope these spiritual teachings work for you, but they didn't work for me. So have a nice life. Like that's the only way I thought I could end that book. So I put the book down and then, and then I had um, a very dangerous um, bulimic episode with where I was bleeding and had pain in my head and my body. And I knew that I was at the end. Either I was at the end of the bulimia or at the end of my life, because I knew that if I kept up the bulimia, I would probably, the best way I can say it is pop a gasket. Like I could feel it in my entire body that that's where I was going. And that, I guess I was scared straight and um, finally went into recovery. This was two years ago. And, um, and then I could rewrite the book and wow, 
what what a difference you know looking at looking at at the book again and this book feast and famine healing addiction with grace i wrote it as i said i'm a channel for the spiritual realm so um and and i wrote this with sophia who most people refer to her as the holy spirit and so she came through with a four-part spiritual path to recovery and it's going to sound really simple would you like me to share that now yeah absolutely Okay, it's going to sound simple, but it's not simple. But that's one of the things about spirituality. So one thing I want to say first about spirituality, since we never defined it. So the difference between spirituality and religion. Religion is your outside experience with the divine or God or whomever you're... The divine is just the easiest way to say it. It encompasses all forms of of, of beings and, and uh, God and everything, whatever you're into. So I call it the divine. It just makes life easier. So religion is your outside experience with the divine. It's about going to church or synagogue or the mosque, and it's about prayer. And it's about, it's a very outward expression of your relationship with the divine. Spirituality is about your inner relationship with the divine. It's about your inner divinity. That's what Messiah Within is about. My first book is about finding your connection to your own inner divinity. And then uh, Feast, and, and I wrote that with Yeshua, who most people know as Jesus. He just came to me in from the Old Testament um, persona, which his name was, um, his name was Yeshua. And then the, the Divine Keys, my second book, uh, Yeshua came back and basically told me I wasn't living the first book. And so I went on a two-year uh, path to figure out why I wasn't living it. So the Divine Path is 18 Keys to Living a Divinely Guided Life. And then so the third path, the third book, excuse me, is Feast and Famine, Healing Addiction with Grace. And Sophia arrived to ask me to write this book on behalf of the divine realm to help with the addiction crisis that we have on our planet today. And so the four teachings are four things. One, pain is inevitable. We are mind, body, spirit, and emotion. We are not going to get out of this without pain. And when we have pain in one of those mind, body, spirit, and emotion, it impacts the other three. And so life is going to be about pain, maybe just like taxes and death, right? There are things we can't get out of, right, at the moment. Hopefully, maybe we will one day get out of taxes. But so pain is inevitable. We must accept that. We must accept the pain that we have. Just accept that the, there is pain. And you are in pain. That's the first step. The second is that suffering is an option. This is something that no one understands. I haven't said this to anyone across the globe. And no one knows that suffering is an option. Maybe we'll devout Buddhists know this. Um, but suffering is when you're wallowing in your pain. And so suffering is an option. And People don't know that. They think that pain and suffering are the same thing. They're right? Always, don't we always we they always, always go together, together, right? Right? Yeah. So so suffering is not the same thing as pain. Suffering you and you've met people that are so sick and yet they're so optimistic, right? They're not suffering. They're in acceptance that they're in pain. 
And then you have people that are not in pain and they're suffering. We've met a lot of those people too on our journey. So you must know that suffering is an option. And what, and so the next one is even as important, and that is surrender is required. What do we mean by surrender? What we mean by surrender is that you must be willing to give up the, the suffering. The pain is inevitable. It's going to be there. But you must be willing to give up the suffering because the suffering is what creates addictive behaviors. Because according to Sophia, the only thing we're really addicted to on this planet is suffering. And then we choose our secondary vice or substance to perpetuate the suffering. And so I know that's a big one. But that's where, so it's really important to surrender, that surrender is required. Because what happens when you truly surrender, it's almost like, you know, when you've been in the shower and you're struggling with a work issue, and then you're in the shower and it just like comes into your head, right? You're like, oh, that's the answer. Because you're no, you're so like, just focused on what you're doing, right? It's a very physical thing. You're not focused on the problem, right? You're not focused on the pain or the struggle. You're just relaxed and in the shower. And with a little one, I'm not sure if that happens for you, Brian, but um, get to take a shower. Um, so, So surrender is required. And so how does the divine know that you're really in surrender? So it's not like, ah, I wish... I wish you would take this uh, gambling problem away. That's not surrender. That's like a wish, right? When you're in surrender, you're like saying it with every ounce of your being. I am done. Like there's no, you're never going to do this again. When you are in that level of surrender, and I know you guys both had to do that in order to come into recovery, then the last one, um, Grace must be allowed. So grace is all of the opportunities that come to you to help you with your recovery. And they can come in many different forms, but you must allow them in. So that's significant language. Grace must be allowed because sometimes we're not quite finished being the gambler, the addict, the loser in the family or the, you know, sometimes we're using those, that persona of the addict to, to hold our place in the family or to hold our place in society and, and to maybe stop us from having to look at why are we in so much pain to begin with, right? So, because in order to stay in recovery, you need to go back and examine that pain and examine why you're suffering and really examine your life and heal the original trauma pattern that caused the pain and the suffering to begin with. So that's like a whole nother process, but you can't get to that without surrendering. And so all of these sound like spiritual concepts because they are. And so this is the spiritual take on, on, um, on addiction and how to be in recovery. So I wrote about all this and then and then what happened is uh, Yeshua came to me again, Jesus, and said, there's something missing from the book, Robin. And I've worked with him long enough to know that I can't get upset about something like that. <laughs> and so what, he, what, came, what was missing from the book was this energy of congruence um, and that 
now once we're in recovery, in order to stay in long-term recovery and, and, and have the opportunity to be in remission, he said that that's possible, even though that's a no-no in addiction world. What would be enable you to stay in, to be, go into remission was if you were living your life in congruence from a mind, body, spiritual, and emotional perspective. If you are working on all four of those in a consistent daily basis to live your best life in all parts of your life, to serve, to heal your vessel, to, to clear your mind of, of patterns and your emotions, to, to, um, to, have a, a spiritual practice. If you can do all of those consistently for, for, for a long time, you know, you will have a successful recovery, but you will also can declare that you're in remission. So I know I've said a lot. <clears throat> That's a, we have a lot to unpack Robin, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. A lot. Yeah. Robin, yeah. if I can just ask you this question. Yeah. Uh, so when you're talking about the, the concepts and, and I think I have it, right of pain suffering surrender and grace right yes and what you're saying makes sense to me i understand but how do you um address issues that people raise and i would think that they have been raised with you before that when you start talking about talking with sophia and ya and yashua yeshua yeah that people then automatically turn off they say oh, this they is could. Yeah, the, this is this is now, you know, a credibility issue. And, right. you know, again, so let's 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 just put it right out there. How how yeah. how is that? Uh, how yeah, do you address and, that? And thank you for thank you for asking me. So I'm going to answer it in a few different ways. So my pattern, my pattern, my life pattern, the one that kept me in addiction was a fear of humiliation and a fear of persecution. And so by being obsessively eating and being bulimic, being bulimic is a form of self-persecution and self-humiliation. And so I would do that to myself until I was ready to stand in the power of who I am as a spiritual teacher. And the only way I could, what, what I came to understand about that, Jeff, is that no one can judge me unless I give them the title of judge. And once I really understood that, then I knew that I could live the life that I was destined to live, right? Because yes, I do sound like a fruitcake, right? I know that, but it's my truth and it's my life. And I can't deny all of the experiences that I've had. Um, they, and, and so what I want to say to people is not that my life is strange, Everyone's life is open to the same opportunity. If we are truly a spiritual being or a soul being having a human being experience, then we are first and foremost soul energy or a divine spark of the divine, right? So the divine lives within us. And it's a matter of connecting to that so that we can have what I call an incredible life of connection, not only to nature, but to information and, and synchronistic events that we chatted about at, in, you know, before the show about experiences that come to us because we're tuned in to what's possible for us as, as beings that are part of a grander universe, 
right? We're all part of the universe. So this is all universal energy. Everything is energy. And so once I recognized that I was truly energy first, then a human second, that opened up the doors for me to have this level of connection to the hu- the larger energetic realm or the divine, as I call it. I, I, thank you for earlier explaining, you know, the difference between religion and spirituality. We, Jeff and I yeah. participated in a meeting the other day and spirituality was the topic. And, you know, some people said, I don't have a lot. I'm not religious. You know, that was always the, I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. And people really hone in on, you know, it's, well, it's got to be religious if it's spirituality. When you went to recovery and you have to deal with the higher power, and that's something the other day we talked about too, is that the higher power isn't, you know, a lot of us will then say, oh, our higher power is this group, or my higher power is my family. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. God or it's not religious. Does that fall in line with your view as well, that the higher mm-hmm. power can be anything? Oh, yeah. The higher power can be the beach. I just spent 10 days walking the beach at sunrise, being in oneness with, uh, with, the, with the ocean, with the sand, with the air, with the elements, just... I think so. So I, I used an important term, which is oneness. Anything that makes you feel connected, I think, is what's most important. So if your family gives you a sense of love and connection, then they are your higher power, right? Now, you can also feel that love and connection to God, right? And then God is your higher power. It's what makes you feel whole. It's what makes you feel alive. It's what makes you feel love. It's what makes you feel connected. I guess that's the word I'm going for today. And so whatever that, whatever that is for you, it's important to find that so that you don't allow your suffering to overtake you again. Because your suffering is based in your fears, right? It's based in what's wrong, what Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe your family said you weren't good enough. Maybe you don't feel good enough. But you want to you wanna stay connected to what makes you feel good. Well, right? I, and- yes, but I do. You say connected, and I was about to say, I'm so glad you said connected because a lot of what Jeff and I do is we connect with other problem gamblers and we all get mm-hmm. together and that's how we recover. And that is much better than mm-hmm. recovering alone because I tried to recover alone and I ended up gambling again. But when you say connected to what makes you feel good, the you know, right? And this goes back to pain and suffering. We create ourselves pain by becoming addicts to gambling. Um, and then to get out of that pain, we try to gamble more. Like, let me win my way yeah. out of this. And then eventually those of us in recovery who are fortunate enough to be here get to the point where that's the only way. And so if you're only connected to what makes you feel good, how do you get from the gambling makes me feel good to anything else making me feel good so that I'm not gambling. How yeah. does somebody do that? And despite the addiction, whatever it may be, because that mm-hmm. addiction is what I'm connected to and makes me feel good. And even if I gambled today, I'm not going to, but if I did, I'm sure there'd be some element in my brain that would make me feel good doing it. And that's what's yeah. scary. And, 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 and in addiction, the, the addictive source is your higher power. Would you agree? while you're while you're in addiction. And so when I say something something it's like something to hold on to that becomes your anchor, right? Something that keeps you grounded and connected. So of course I wouldn't suggest that it would be your addictive nature. I would suggest Obviously, that yes. it would be yeah, I would suggest that it would be something that 
that that inspires you right something that you can you can hold on to you know because for me i come from a pretty religious household um my husband is actually a rabbi and then all of a sudden jesus shows up in my life and i'm like uh oh this is a little complicated here <laughs> right but um i realize that it's all the same it's all the same it's all about our connection our inner connection that connects us to all universal energy and so what is it that connects you it could even be going fishing right like you could when you're out in the boat on that lake you're connecting to mother nature a lot of people connect to mother nature as their primary source of connection because it's so wonderful right so it doesn't have to be ethereal i think it's the ethereal that scares us because i think in religion we're taught that god can be punishing and you have to go through you know through the religious teachings or through the clergy and what 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 spirituality suggests is that the divine lives within you right that behind your pain is this beautiful heart this sacred heart that connects you to all things love and allows you to live as love because that's ultimately what we want to do but it's really super incred incredibly important to know the initial pain that what was that pain what was your pattern so it took me a while to figure out my pattern what actually helped me to figure out the pattern was a book that i love um called the big leap by gay hendrix and what it talks about is that we all aspire to every on our everyday lives to live in our zone of brilliance you know that's like when we do really well at work or we're in uh a recovery or whatever that is a good parent good a good son or daughter but what we really ultimately want to aspire to is our zone of genius that's when we're really living what we came here what our soul came here to do what our soul came here to accomplish but in between our zone of brilliance and our zone of genius is what he calls upper limit beliefs and that's what we have to look at what are our upper limit beliefs what stops us from living our zone of genius and so for me i discovered was this this i had been humiliated at least 25 times in my life like really humiliated and so i realized that i i became very fearful of that but then that was my life lesson right was to be able to say i can say whatever i need to say and live this life <clears throat> and not be afraid of being humiliated. So everybody has these upper limit beliefs. They really stop us. And so I would encourage people to read this book and and figure out what your upper limit beliefs are so that you can really live your zone of genius. And I think once you get through that, you can accomplish everything that you want to in this lifetime. Robin, just uh, just when I thought I was starting to unpack a lot of this, um <laughs> my suitcase got filled up again so um it's you know you're, you're just you're a fascinating person and and, I, and I, again i appreciate you you sharing this with us but i have to ask you a couple of questions that are yes. just um sort of churning in my own mind number one is um what was your spirituality slash religious upbringing like and mm -hmm. did you get to a point where you had this epiphany um what is it that sort of was 
if, if there was some sort of a seminal event that transformed you into where you are now. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I grew up in a traditional Jewish home, um, not religious, uh, just more traditions like holidays and, and things like that. Um, and and then, you know, I came out, uh, I grew up and I would have unusual situations happen to me. Like when my grandmother was dying, I was in public accounting in the bullpen doing tax returns. And I stood up in the middle of the bullpen during tax season and said, I'm sorry, I have to go to New York now. And they're like, what? I'm like, I got to go. And I grabbed my purse. I drove down to the train station, called my family and said, everybody meet me at grandma's hospital room now. And we all went there and my grandmother died in my arms, like with my, with her family surrounded by her. So I didn't really know what that was then. And I had a few other odd situations, but then I started becoming fascinated with past lives and the Celestine prophecy. We sort of mentioned that earlier about there are no coincidences. And I just was playing around with it. But then I wanted to come out of my corporate life. I was really wanted to do something more significant. And what I did is I stood on my deck for almost a year and I asked the same question, how can I be of greater service to mankind? And I didn't know that at that time I was dedicating my life to divine service. Would you guys hold on one sec? I'm just gonna close my window, one sec. Sorry. How dare they mow their lawn next door? Um, anyway, so I stood there for a year and there was a being of light standing there with me, listening to me. I went out range, snow, warm, mosquitoes. I'm like, I'm here, I'm ready to serve. And that's when my life started opening up and I went on this spiritual journey. I traveled to India to study. I traveled, I worked with teachers. I just lived this journey that I didn't know I was being spiritually guided until Yeshua came in to write Messiah Within with me. And he said, these are the 12 steps to living a divinely guided life. And I said, 12 steps, that's interesting. There are another set of 12 steps on the planet. He goes, I know. I shared those two. That's what he said to me. Robin, do, do you and, mind, sh- yeah. excuse me, do you mind sharing, you know, uh, you know, what do you mean by, you know, Yashua came and, and started talking? I mean, tell, yeah. if, if you don't literally, mind telling us. I don't, what, no, yeah, I sure. don't. He literally arrived and in my, in, um, in my space where I was etherically, like not, I couldn't see him in the full version and said, these, these are the 12 steps. Let me, because I had, was having a really hard time writing this book because, because I wasn't a writer. I wasn't a channel. I wasn't a, a Christian scholar. I wasn't even a Judaic scholar. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he said to me, well, here are the 12 steps. And he started saying them out loud. And I realized that I had lived the first 10 from the time that I stood on my deck and said, um, you know, how can I serve? So I was being guided to live these experiences. And so the most interesting thing about that, Jeff, is that I had to then live the last two. He was telling me what I was going to be living in the future before it even happened. And that's a whole nother story. We won't get into that, how I knew that I had lived those, but they were all what I call spiritual two by fours. Um, they just clunked me over the head as lessons and, um, and I learned them. So did I answer your question? Well, 
I mean, you answered it. I'm not sure I, I fully can appreciate it. And and, yeah. and again, I'm, I want to understand it because I think it's yeah. fascinating. Um, yes. I think and, because and, I, because I stood on my deck for that year committing to this life of divine service that I think I just committed my whole life to it. And I didn't even know that at the time. I kept asking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? How can I help? How can I help? And I guess I just went on this spiritual fast track. Right. You know, and that's why I have the experiences that I have. And I'm certainly not alone. I think I think there are millions and millions of people that have these same gifts on the planet. They just aren't open to talking about them. Right. So you 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 shared that you were brought up in a um in a Jewish home, uh, not mm -hmm. necessarily religious. And I relate to that because the same is true for me. Mm -hmm. Now, I have to be honest with you. If I said to my Jewish mother that I was going to go to India on a spiritual journey, she'd probably um, refill a prescription of Valium and, uh, <laughs> and lay in front of the plane before it took off. How did your family mm. react to this journey that you uh, began on? Well, it's a it's a funny story because when I was asked to go, the the rest of the message was, and you just declare you're going, and we'll we'll take care of letting your husband. We'll take care of having him agree that you sh you can go, right? Because who like announces in the middle of a marriage that they're going to India, right? So I said to him, I'm going to India in July to go to the oneness university. And he's like, really? Like, there's not even a conversation. And I'm like, no, I am going. I mean, and that was unusual for me, right? And he's like, okay, well, where are you going to get the money? So the next day, my first husband calls me who I was always friends with, just maybe always just friends. <laughs> and then he said to me, hey, I have something to tell you, meet me for breakfast. And I go to meet for breakfast and he goes, I think I can get you money out of your 401k without penalty this year. He had, he was managing my portfolio and I go, really? And he said, he said, yeah, how much? He, I said, how much? And he said, $10,000. And I said, he, and I, I started to laugh. He said, what, what's so funny about that? I said, that's actually the cost to go to the oneness university. So I came back and I said to my husband, I have the money. And he goes, then I, and he said, so then I guess you're going. And that was like the end of the conversation, because how could he argue with the fact that the money arrived, right? Did, you, did your husband, has your, you said your husband's a rabbi. Is he a traditional mm -hmm. rabbi? Has he he's changed a, his He's actually use? a spiritual rabbi. He's a conservative, okay. he's a conservative uh, Jewish person, but he's a spiritual rabbi. He's also studied to be a shaman. Uh, a Native American uh, healer. So he's all in alignment with me, which is makes life easier. It's just my life is a little more, uh, you know, a little more out there. <laughs> and, and and did he gain his, um, let's say, spirituality and um, from f as a result of your journey? Or did he have an independent uh, journey? Well, I know when he was in college, he was all into philosophy and yoga and all that kind of stuff. And then he stopped for quite a while. But then when I really started on this spiritual fast track, I said to him, if we're going to stay um, interesting to each other 
and have have a similar path because you know marriage you're going like this but you don't want to go like this right you want to stay in the same path going straight up together i said it would probably be really great if you found things that were of interest to you and so that's when he started with the shamanic path and then the rabbinical path came after that robin i i you're your story about India struck me not on the same level, but in that I, I'm a creative person and, and I'll come up with ideas. And I used, so I, I used to do comedy and improv and stand up and stuff like that when I was younger. And then I enjoyed gambling too much and I didn't put the proper mm-hmm. effort in. And so doing this podcast is kind of a natural thing for me after gambling and, and, and all that. I though will come up with ideas that I'm inspired by in my brain and immediately I will say them to whoever I say them to, whether it's friends or my wife or somebody. Um, And the immediate reaction of people is usually, oh, how are you going to do that? Isn't that going to cost money? It's always what I perceive to be a negative reaction to an idea that inspires me and that, that as you talked about the the zone of genius, did I, the zone of genius? Mm -hmm. You mentioned the zone of genius. I immediately thought, Oh, I've been, that's the thing that will keep me from not gambling is when I can enter that. Yes. And it doesn't happen often, but when it happens, I get excited. I tell somebody else that person's general immediate reaction is, oh, well that, how are you going to do that? What, which Mm -hmm. I perceive as negative. Are they being negative or am I taking it negative? Is it the, why did I make them the judge sort of thing? How do you deal with with that, with other people, maybe not being negative, but at least showing concern to where then my idea, I'm like, well, I don't want to do it now. You kind of killed it for me. How do I myself get over that? How do I overcome? Yeah. That's a loaded question. I know. I know, but I have so many ways to answer that. So let's see. Um, So yes, I, I do agree. That's coming out of your zone of genius, right? That's your real inspiration ideas that you have. It's also coming out of what I refer to in spirituality as your divine feminine energy. So if we say that the divine is both feminine and masculine, right? It would have to be because humanity was created in, in the image of the divine. So there's men and women, right? Feminine and masculine. Your divine feminine is your creatrix, right? The birther of creative ideas. Your divine masculine is the provider right, is abundance. And so what I would say to you is you're, 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 instead of calling on your own divine masculine to provide the resources and, and, and resources being money, opportunity, time, people to implement your idea, you're immediately giving that power over to someone else to be the judge of your idea. And so if you were to work in within your own inner ability to say, wow, my divine feminine, look at her. She's just like creating left and right. I have these brilliant ideas. And then when you hold your standards as the creator, like when you really own that project and own what are the possibilities for that and how it can serve and what is it like, so you're holding the standards for it. Your divine masculine immediately says, how may I serve you, my divine feminine? by giving you the resources that you need to make this work. So all of this is happening inside of yourself. And sometimes it's hard for men to think of themselves as having a feminine aspect and for women to think of themselves as having a masculine, not you, good. So your, your, your feminine is the creator, 
the creatrix, but your masculine is just waiting for you to hold that idea, really embrace it and say, yes, this is a brilliant idea. And when the divine timing is correct, my divine masculine will bring me the resources that I need. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks unless you're asking them to be your partner on the project. And then you have to integrate your energies together, but hold it yourself. So I also wanted to share something I mentioned before the call, and that is I was wondering if I was a gambler because I've invested so much money in my business. I almost feel like I got a PhD in spirituality, which there is no such thing, but that's how much I invested in this because when I would have those brilliant ideas, I would be like, jump how high, jump how high, without actually waiting for the the integration of my feminine and my masculine to come together. Like I would just be trying all kinds of things, investing all kinds of money without holding the energy long enough for what I was trying to birth to come to fruition. And so that's what I'm loving about my writing coaching, because that is so clear to me that I am here to write books and to help other people write books, that now people are coming to me, right? Instead of me always trying to pull them to me, I'm just standing there in my authentic nature with a solid product and people are finding me and and referring them to me because I'm holding the standard for what I want to share deeply, holding it deeply. And so that's what I would say to you, Brian, is when you have those ideas, they're your idea. Embrace it, hold it, create standards, and then the resources will arrive from your masculine nature to help you to launch it. Okay. Um, Robin, as far as, like, I mean, we're, we're winding down here, but there's problem gamblers listening. So yes. to be practical about all this, Somebody who is listening to this currently who is, you know, in their first year of recovery, maybe even just a few days out and are listening, they're listening to you and you're saying be free from the suffering, but in their mind, the only way to be free from suffering is to go make themselves feel good and gamble. Yeah. How, how, how does someone go from pain, skip the suffering and get to grace? I mean, how in practical terms of someone going, what do I do right now? I mean, I'm sitting here, I, you know, I'm got my fingernails dug into the desk and I don't want to go gamble. What can I do right now? What in my mind can I do? What can I think about? How is spirituality going to save me from going and gambling right now? Yeah. So I would say that that would depend on where they are on the scale of recovery, because if they're truly in recovery, then they've gone through surrender. But if they're still fighting it, Every Let's go moment, with the yeah, yeah. Then they're still suffering, um, and so they have to figure out how if they really want to be in recovery. Like if recovery is the most important thing in their life, I w- I would say that it is. In that the people we speak with, you know, people go back and forth, people relapse, but yeah, we you know we speak with them because they want to recover. But I guess anybody listening right now is looking for that answer of. How, though, do I stop the suffering? What is it? Is it yes. to, to look within to, to see what you like sure. and find a hobby? Is it? It, it? I think that the way to really stop the suffering is to look at your 
tra trauma from your childhood, your teen years, and your adult years to find a very good professional person that can help you to dig deep and find out where this began. Where did the pain begin, begin for you? And how has it, how has it been snowballing in your life because if you're still at that point where you're digging your nails in i don't think you know what you're suffering about okay because remember the suffering is the true addiction the gambling is how you're perpetuating the addiction how you're wallowing the gambling is the how you're perpetuating the suffering right so we're where did the pain begin? And I know that's asking people a lot to, to do that type of work. But for me, I think it's really the only answer because it's the only thing that can keep you in long-term recovery, I believe, is to understand the source of your pain and why you started suffering to begin with. Jeff, you're shaking your head. Is that something you agree with? Yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm just not sure... Um... Again, I, I, I usually form formulate my opinions just based on my, upon my own recovery experience. Mm -hmm. And I think early on, um, just to speak to Brian's question, early on in my recovery, I felt that it would have been more important for me to concentrate on just acceptance mm -hmm. rather than focusing on the why. How did it happen? What in my past? I think there's a lot of value to that later on. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, most of us in recovery, our focus when we enter into recovery is just not engaging in the addictive yes. behavior, um, yes. specifically gambling. Right. And I can see how too much focus on how did this happen, why, and, and, and all that may in a sense be a distraction to that so um while i understand yeah. you know your 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 reasoning behind really you know looking at the trauma and and so on and so forth like in my life there's nothing that really was obvious that i could say i was abused as a child my parents were you know addicted to either gambling or something else or you know any of the kind of risk factors that normally or would be identified as, hey, this person is at risk and we understand why this addiction developed. For me, it wasn't like that. So I would really have to dig deep. And I think that yes. to a large extent, it would be, it would have been a distraction early on to focus on that. And then of course, I've heard people say that, well, what are you going to do when you find that out? Is it, you can't change the past. I mean, isn't it more helpful? Well, it's more, it's more acceptance and more forgiveness, right? Yeah, exactly. Acceptance right? for, the, it, yeah, right, exactly. And then if you focus too much on the whys, is it more like, does that lead you to a path of, oh, I wish this didn't happen? And we all know that we can't change the past. We cannot change the past. No. And, and, fo and, and but we have to spend some time in the past to understand our, our life patterns, and then it's a matter of grounding ourselves in the present moment and and looking forward to the future. Yeah, you know, I, looking I, forward and and so it's it's a combination where I mean we we are living the past, the present and the future consecutively, right? With in our mind, right? And in our heart. Sure. And so but 
you know, that that's what worked for me is um, I went into very intense uh, mental health therapy um, to really, I, I knew that I needed to, if I, if I wanted to stay, remember I was 40 years, right? So I had to figure out what to do with the next 40 years, hopefully, um, to, to be able to stay healthy, right? And so I started focusing on my mind, my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health, and my spiritual health. And I, I just, I work them all every day. I even, even on my work to-do list, at the bottom of it, I have mind, body, spirit, and emotion. What am I doing today? Because as, as I shared earlier, that state of congruence, of focusing on all four, keeps me focused in the present moment, because that's a very present moment way of living. What am I doing today that will better my life? And I think that that's just one day at a time, but it's one day of bettering my life. And that yeah. keeps me grounded and not reaching for food. Although I will say on, on vacation, about the eighth day in, we were there for 10 days. I decided to buy my kids some Swedish fish. You know, everybody's eating those. Once I had like three or four of them, it, it, I started like regressing, right? I started regressing into obsessively eating, but then I was able to bring in my tools because I knew it would never get to bulimia because I know what will happen if I do that. And, and I love my life too much to do that ever again. But I, had, I realized that sugar triggers my obsessive compulsive nature. So I would ask your audience to even think about what triggers your obsessive compulsive behavior in your life. Are you still eating a lot of sugar? Like, what are you doing? You know, are you watching too much Netflix? Like, sorry, Netflix, but it's the first thing I thought of. Um, what are you doing to, to take you out of present moment grounded nature? It's, it, sounds, it sounds to me like it's all about balance, right? It's mm -hmm. all yes. about balance. Yeah, it struck me, you know, thinking about your challenges with eating. I mean, it's in a way um, for Brian and me and other people that are in recovery from gambling, you know, we found that complete abstaining from gambling is the way to go. You can't mm -hmm. do that if you had a, have an eating disorder. <laughs> you have to right. eat. So that, that presents itself with, with different challenges. So, you know, the first thing you were, when you were talking about eating the Swedish fish, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why did you start eating? Because you're supposed to be abstaining, but wait a minute, you can't abstain from food, mm -hmm. but so I, I get it. But yeah, I, I think that is a great point in terms of having built that foundation mm -hmm. that is from a very balanced way to look at life to help us along when we encounter those kinds of challenges, because we will be tempted. We will have, you know, situations that we're going to encounter that's going to be kind of challenging, challenging to us to maintain yeah. our abstinence, to maintain our recovery. So yes. I think you make a really good point on that. Yeah. So I agree with you, Jeff. I think it is about balance. Congruence is, is the term that was shared with me for feast and famine. I like that wholeness, congruence, balance. You know, it's all about, I call it this. The audience can't see me. I'm kind of bringing all the energy down into me uh, with my hands. 
Well, Robin, Claire, this has been a real delight to speak with you. It's, it's, it's eye-opening because we don't ever talk about it. You know, we, we, we talk about a lot of other stuff and we sort of ignore the spirituality because I think Jeff and I are, well, intrigued by it, somewhat uncomfortable by it. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not gambling and that's working for me. But there's other things that I can work on, and this is one of them. Um, so thank you very much for stopping by and sharing with us. We really appreciate no, it. Oh, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure. And if you just want to let everybody know where they can find you. Yes, you can find me on my website, which is um, clarity.com, C-L-A-R-E, which is my last name, dash I-T-Y.com. And on Instagram, it's Clarity by Robin. And Facebook, it's Clarity with Robin. And, um, and also, um, guys, I also offer a free 30-minute consultation to anyone. And we can talk about spirituality, recovery, the basketball playoffs. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> Whatever you want to talk about. Well, that sounds uh, nice. I, you know, I'm sure there's a good portion of the audience that really wants to write their story. Yes. I think that's yes. We, Jeff and I run into a lot is a lot of people want to write their story to share because most people, because, have, most of us just want to help other people at this point. And that's what a lot yeah, of people want to do. So. It's so, it's so cathartic, yeah. right? Not only for you, but for anyone who reads your story, even if you share it just with your family, they really will understand you and, and understand your recovery more. Cause sometimes that's hard too, right? Is getting our family to understand what we're going through. And, and so by writing it down and sharing it with them it makes, makes your relationship even better. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Robin, Claire, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. You're, you're welcome. You're and welcome. my thanks to Jeff as always, and thanks for listening. So I wanted to share, um, I asked Sophia for an example of the four parts of Sophia's divine path to healing can look like in someone's life. And this is what she replied. Imagine sitting on the floor of a dark room, alone and in pain. This scene portrays what suffering feels like. The moment you find the courage to get up and look for the light switch, you are in surrender. When you turn on the light, you are filled, filled with the light of grace. From here, you will find the door that leads you out of the dark room and back into self-love and ultimately into your divinely inspired life. Mm -hmm.